0: this morning we pour out our praise to you the very breath that we have in our lungs is borrowed from you is your breath of life your living word that's alive in us that gives us life and sustains us and so God we pray this morning that your living word would speak into our hearts that you would change us by it today we love you pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm actually going to take a seat here uh, this morning, too. A moment of full disclosure. I had a a, a moment in the wee hours of of the morning this morning where I wasn't quite sure if I would be giving the message uh, here this morning. just uh spiked a, a pretty high fever and just struggled to sleep and just wrestled with um, just health stuff last night so thankful to be here with you and thankful to be able to to share the message with you this morning and and i uh I, I truly believe that, uh, that there's some things in here today that uh that uh, that God is going to use here as uh as we grow in him and as we uh, as we grow together um if uh, we're we're, we are coming down to the end of a three-part message series Uh, we started three weeks ago series called the sons of Issachar and uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to be able to hear the other messages or if this is your first time here this morning I'd really really encourage you go online ecwesleyan.net, listen to the the previous two messages it'll give you a little bit more context about, uh, about what we're talking about here uh, today and uh, join the conversation too, um, you know, whether it's on the, the E.C. Wesleyan, the Eau Claire Wesleyan Facebook page or on Twitter at ecwesleyan.net, uh, we want to be able to be a part of a conversation, um, you know, with, uh, with what we're talking about here. But since most of us has, have slept since last week, um, just going to give a little bit of a, a recap of, uh, of of where we're going and, and where we're 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 where we're going here this morning um, we've been talking about looking at uh, understanding the times and living in you know that, that we're living in and, and knowing how to respond to our culture without losing our minds at the very sign or at, at, at any time that there's any type of controversy uh, that uh, that's going on and and um, th- there's a, a real neat passage in in First Chronicles, so I'm going to go ahead and have Bethany put it up on the screen here, it says that there were 200 captains of the sons of Issachar. They understood the times and had much understanding of what Israel should do. And all their brothers obeyed them. They, this group of people had a keen awareness of, of the times that they were living in and they knew the best possible way forward. This is in this this uh, this passage is is written in, in one of Israel's uh, pretty tumultuous times, where uh, there's uh, there's this political uh, there, there's this this uh, this political vacuum in which um, the 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 descendants of, of King Saul are, are, are all but wiped out, and David has been King David has been been promised the throne. Uh, by God, and and there's this just this infighting that's going on, and as as the uh, as the Israelites are starting to to rally around David, uh, there were several <coughs> there were several several warriors, but among them there were these 200 sons of Issachar who they weren't just warriors, they weren't just there for a fight. They they understood the times, they had a keen awareness of of the, the times that they were in and, and they knew what to do uh, to, move, to move forward in this really messy part of, of Israel's history. And this, this conversation is paramount for where we are today with the innumerable voices uh, from news outlets to social media and uh, those conversations that are taking place in our families, in our neighborhoods, um, on events that are taking place all around us, all with differing opinions on how we should react or how we should respond to them. And if you're anything like me, the temptation in the midst of controversy is, is to simply turn it off, block it out, shut it out, and walk away. But if God, if God loves this world so much and the people in it so much that He sent His Son into it, then, then we have to embrace the mess we have to embrace the mess that we find ourselves in and discover the best way to bring God's redemption into that mess. And this is why we can't afford to ignore our culture anymore. Uh, last week I shared with you a, a quote by a guy named Walt Mueller. Uh, Walt runs a, an organization in Pennsylvania called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding, a great organization but Walt Mueller puts it like this he says in today's media dominated culture media avoidance and ignorance invites irrelevance that can spell disaster so we started this series with the goal of understanding our times and last week we talked about some tools for how we can, uh, what the things that can help us clear a path in understanding what to do as we learn to decipher our culture. We, we talked about discovery. We talked about asking good questions and, and discerning from Scripture uh, what, how, we, uh, how we engage with, uh, with the, the art and literature and culture that's, uh, that's surrounding us and, and, uh, and then decide what do we do with this now? Now that we know these things, what do we do with it? And, uh, and, and and these tools are really really helpful for us in deciphering uh, the culture, and it isn't just for the sake of understanding, uh, but it's it's so that God, so that we can allow God to leverage our culture, in order to put Him on display in it and through it. I'm of, the, I want you to hear me a second. I am under the firm conviction that God can leverage. And redeem just about anything to bring him glory that God can redeem and and can leverage just about anything to to bring him glory I love in this testimony that we heard from Ryan Reese um, somebody that's a a skateboarder and and into the music scene that you know God is using his thing you know and uh, and uh, and 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 leveraging that to 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 bring good news to uh, to groups of, of, of people and, uh, and and each of us has has those things too that God wants to leverage, and there are things in our culture that God wants to redeem and leverage, um, so that uh, so that He can be put on dis- display, His glory can be put on display. So where do we go? Where do we go from here? Where do we where do we go from all of that? Well, this morning I, I want to start with a little, little bit of a perspectives question, and uh, the the question is this: If I were to if I were to ask you to think about a, an evil regime that was led by uh, a charismatic leader with a fascination for eugenics and mysticism, what would come to mind? Probably Nazi Germany, under, underneath the, the rule of Adolf Hitler. But if you, were to, if you were to back the map up a little bit, and you were to take it a little further south and a little further east, and back a few thousand years, there's an empire that anytime, anywhere in the Bible, you read a description of this place, it is evil manifest. For several generations, this regime would conquer nations defile anything that was sacred to them, kidnap the best, brightest, and most attractive of its children and teenagers in order to assimilate and indoctrinate them with this regime's ideology, and then, once all that was done, make them serve right alongside of the leadership, doing the same to other nations that they set their eyes on. This, this regime was so bad That at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, thousands of years beyond this regime's grasp or relevancy, John describes evil personified as this regime, as Babylon, a devourer of all that is pure and good, a living symbol of godlessness to the very end of time. And into this culture, we find the story of a young man snatched from his homeland and dropped in the, military, the, the middle of this military machine. His name is Daniel, and this morning we're going to be joining his story. Some of the points that we're going to be talking about today uh, come out of Larry Osborne's book, uh, Thriving in Babylon. Uh, if you want to use the Bible in the pew in front of you, we're going to be reading from page uh, 719. Um, it's also going to be up on the screen here too, but we're going to be starting in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for 3 years and after that they were to enter the king's service among them cho- of those who were chosen were some from judah daniel hananiah mishael azariah and azariah the chief officials gave them new names to daniel the name Belteshazzar, to hananiah shadrach to mishael meshach and to, to azariah abednego but daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission to not defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the officials told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the young men of your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had ate from the royal food. So the guards took away their choice foods and the wine they were drinking uh, and gave them some vegetables instead. These uh, young, four young men, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the the uh, chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus." Daniel's story begins with the consequences of someone else's actions. Jehoiakim was a wicked king, and I don't mean that in like the New England sense of like he wasn't wicked good, you know, he was, he was a wicked king. Uh, his reign lasted about 11 years, but during that time he, ens- he enslaved and abused his own people to live lavishly as he uh, allied himself with whoever was powerful enough to keep him in power. Several prophets tried to reason with him to warn him about what was coming if he continued down this path. But Jehoiakim refused to acknowledge God's warning. As a result, God used the nation of Babylon as a blunt instrument to remove him. But his people paid the greatest price for his arrogance and his ignorance. And if you've ever experienced if you have ever experienced being the collateral damage of someone else's actions, and you know the place that we find Daniel at when we, when we see him at first in the story. And while we don't have any specifics about his parents, we know that they were of some royal descent or they were some royalty, but those days were over for Daniel. He may as well have been orphaned. He was a stranger in a strange land Not only that, but he was now a part of a strange house. Nebuchadnezzar would have viewed children like Daniel as as instruments in both immediate and future political control. So he would essentially collect and raise the best and brightest and most attractive captives from every house. Nebuchadnezzar was kind of like the original Pokemon master. He'd catch them all from every nation and train them up so that he could be the very best like no one ever was. No one? No one? Sorry, I thought I was at least going to get a laugh out of Russell. (laughs) And he he would have had them learn the the policies and practices of the land. He would have uh, had them learn the, the, the language and literature, all of the rules and rituals and religions of the land so that one day they could serve alongside of them. He treated them to a broad education of the choicest of foods from his own table. It's like... It's like Nebuchadnezzar figured out what Stockholm Syndrome was before it was actually a thing. This dude was pretty twisted. He was known for being a pretty twisted character. And this is the place that we find Daniel's story. We we find Daniel's story beginning as collateral damage from someone else's sin, someone else's action. We find Daniel in a place where he is under the, the, the control and under the authority of a terrible, terrible, evil empire. And I want to just kind of take a sidebar here a second and just, just say this. If you ever find yourself losing hope, if you ever find yourself looking at the, the climate around you, and looking at, at atrocities that take place around you. If you ever find yourself in a place thinking it could not possibly get worse, remember that it can always be worse. Daniel found himself in the center of, of what biblical literature will, again, remember, let me remind you, would, would display as evil personified. But the hope in the midst of all of this, is that God was with Daniel through it all. And in Daniel's story, I believe that we're going to find three essential character traits for today's sons of Issachar. Trait number one is wisdom. The definition of wisdom we find in Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Daniel understood that God's ways were always the best ways. He would have been old enough to to seen the end of, of King Josiah's reign. Now, King Josiah was an was an, was an incredible king. He uh, he toppled a lot of the the, the idolatrous uh, idolatrous practices that Israel had kind of borrowed and had co opted for themselves, and and uh, and Josiah uh, reinstituted uh, the, the 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 teaching in the temple, and and uh, and Josiah was was considered to be a godly king because he brought some of these. The Israel back from some really terrible practices. And Daniel would have been old enough to have seen how God, knowing God changed everything. And the wisdom that Daniel found in that, and that we can, are enabled to find today, is this letter A. To live out a genuine faith set apart from situational ethics. To live out a genuine faith set apart from situational ethics. In verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved himself he decided right then and there on the spot that he would not be defiled he resolved that the way forward was with God and while we have in chapter 1 details about food from the king's table I, I truly believe that this is more than just about food That Daniel set himself set himself up to not be defiled not be defiled in this, in this new land. You see, Daniel's trainings and studies would have taken him into studying things like astrology and witchcraft and divination. And not only was Daniel undefiled by the food and his studies, he was actually better at understanding them than all of Babylon's greatest magicians and enchanters. And it would have been so easy for him to simply just go along with the new terms and conditions of his life. Well, maybe still holding on to some of the ideas of his heritage, but Daniel resolved that regardless of what anyone around him was doing, that he would walk consistently with God. And we have the, cha- the same choice today and, and every day. We choose. To, li- to allow God to lead us in every area of our lives. We, we ask for his wisdom to guide us in our relationships and our, our choices and our, our financial decisions. We, we ask God to, to give us wisdom in knowing how to proceed forward. And as we, go, as we grow in him, we learn to trust him more and more, empowering us to be more and more consistent in our faith. In all areas of our lives, this is this is actually one of the. If you read in the New Testament, you you see people who are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, and this is this is one of those things that being filled with the Holy Spirit does. That it uh, it, it pushes out those those uh, those things that would separate us from in relationship from God and, and with others, and and, uh, and and sets us in a, in a place where we're where we're wanting to be more closely follow more. Uh, uh, that we would follow more closely uh, God's ways and follow those consistently and as we grow in wisdom we learn in wisdom letter B to be tolerant in the biblical sense now tolerance is kind of an interesting word because it, it's kind of become known in our, our culture or misunderstood or misrepresented in our culture as kind of a, a shallow version of, of unconditional love. But in the biblical sense, the, the biblical definition of tolerance is this. Tolerance means that we grant people the right to be wrong without becoming apathetic or uncaring about them. Tolerance means that we grant people the right to be wrong without becoming apathetic or uncaring about them. In other words, true tolerance suspends our expectations of others while still allowing our hearts to break for them. True biblical tolerance acknowledges that every person has the right to choose or to choose not to follow God's design and leave room for grace, for God's mercy, and for God's justice. John Wesley, the founder of the Wesleyan Church, put it like this in, in uh, one of his letters to an early itinerant pra- pastor. He said this, he says, The longer I live, the larger allowance I make for human infirmities. The longer I live, the larger allowance I make for human infirmities. And I don't know about you, if, if you ever struggle with this, but I, I know that this is something that I struggle with um, and the struggle is generally born out of this place of, like, I want to see, like, God's best for the world. Like, I want to see God's best for, um, for my neighbors and for my friends who aren't following after him. Like, I want, I want that so bad for them. I want to the, the, I, I see the elimination of, of, of the damage that sin causes. I want to see the goodness of God at work in everyone but I can't force faith on somebody else. I can't legislate love. I can't make somebody want to follow God. I can't force them to do that. But in this tension that Daniel experiences, experienced, resolving to live a godly life in a godless culture, God gave him wisdom to let her see, to trust God's ultimate goodness and power. Daniel remembered God's track record. If he could deliver them before he could do it again, which built up the next character trait that we need in understanding our times and knowing what to do. And that characteristic is number two, hope. Hope. The definition of hope is this, is a deep-seated confidence in God's character. Hope is a deep-seated confidence in, in, in God's character. That letter A, even in the darkest moments, God's character is immutable. God himself declares in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. The author of Hebrews writes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is unchanging. His, his character is immutable. Perspective is such a powerful thing and when we look at our circumstances at all the things that are going on in our culture, the latest news, the latest outrage, confidence in the unchanging character of God can give us hope. Let me just share a little little perspective piece here with you today. Like, like And and I just want to acknowledge here that that we enjoy the the privilege of, of being citizens of the United States. It's a great privilege that we have. But as Christians, like that's a secondary citizenship. Like our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And so no matter what happens here, no matter how bad things get, there's a better home. There's a better home that we're looking towards and it's not just it's not just that, that we have this thing that we're looking towards but but we have this we have this great hope that we can bring others along with us in that and you know when we when we understand that when we recognize that that and we have place our confidence in the unchanging unchar- character of god It fills us with so much hope, and what I mean by that is is that if I know that God's strength is available in my weakness, then I can endure my weakness a little bit longer. And if I trust that God is a God of justice, then it means that I don't need to vindicate myself. I don't need to vindicate myself when I've been mistreated or wronged. If I can acknowledge God's consistency, his consistency yesterday, it gives me great hope for today and for tomorrow. And it's interesting to me that, that in, in, each, uh, in each election cycle, I feel like the, that we go through this as Christians, uh, we tend to find ourselves in this place where we panic over the prospects the future of the church and the climates for Christianity. Remember, Daniel is in Babylon. Daniel is in a wicked nation. He's in captivity. Babylon has ransacked God's temple. They've changed their captives' names to remove any hint of God from their names, and yet God is still at work in and through them in the most hostile of climates. Daniel's hope in God was unshaken by his circumstances because he knew who God was, and through it all, that God would see him through to the very end. And one of the most amazing things is not only is God's character unchanging, but his promises are unchanging too. And one of the, well, we can't cover all of God's promises this morning. One of the, one of the great promises that, that he gives is that God promises to build his church in spite of opposition. Jesus promises that he will build his church at the doorsteps of evil and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And into that hope, God promises to not only sustain His church, but to build it up and to build up His people. And when that happens, the church takes on four postures or four missions. We're a praying church. Uh, there's, there's prayer. In prayer, we acknowledge God. We acknowledge who He is, our, our need for Him. We express our adoration for Him, our needs, our, our gratitudes, and all, of, all that we face in our circumstances. In, in him, there's a posture that we take in loving obedience. That, remember, again, you can't legislate obedience. Well, Daniel had no legal reason, no social reason, no cultural reason to hang on to God's commands. He chose to obey God's commands out of love for who God was and who he knew that he was, he was faithful to be. He knew that God always has the best interests of his creation in mind. The third posture the church takes is a, love, is a love for our enemies, loving our enemies. Throughout the course of church history, people have been martyred for their faith and it's still happening today that Christians in, in north, places like North Korea, Somalia, and Syria are being executed. And they're extending the love and forgiveness of Jesus up to the very end. And the final posture of a, of a church filled with hope is faithfully proclaiming the gospel. You see, when we share the hope that we found in Jesus, we are reminded that that, of that hope that God has given to us and we're encouraged by it. And so we have wisdom and hope that God, God builds in us as we seek to understand our times and know what to do. But there's a third characteristic that's absolutely vital in this conversation, and that's number three, humility. The definition of this, humility serves is serving others by putting their needs above ours. In order for us to thrive in and effectively navigate our cultural climate, we need to build up the character trait of humility. This trait really empowers us to serve others, even if there's hostility towards us in return. It flies in the face of our humanity. It flies in the face of our humanity. But I think about it like this. If Jesus, who's being, uh, who is unfairly executed, if Jesus willingly goes to a cross and is executed by people who are fully aware of what they're doing as they are spitting on him and beating him and hurling insults at him, if Jesus utters words like, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing then I think that's a posture that we really need to look at too. I think those are some of history's most unfair words, but I'm so grateful for them. You see, like Jesus would put on display for the whole world to see, Daniel understood this to be true. He knew that, that humility is letter A, desiring the best for those who oppose you. Humility doesn't just want the best for ourselves, it wants, the best, it wants others to benefit, even those who don't like us. When Daniel made his request for a menu changed to his overseers, it wasn't solely for his own benefit. He desired the better things for everyone around him, even though in that moment the rest of the company probably wasn't really too pleased that they were taking away the the, uh, wine and pork chops. And this is essential to forgiveness. Late, last fall, uh, Dr. Terry Law came here to speak and, and uh, one of the things that he said about forgiveness was that, that, that for, true forgiveness happens when we pray God's blessing on other people, on people that have, have offended us or people who have hurt us. And if we are forgiven people, we need to be forgiving people. And we practice humility in this, in this true form and in that, we also remember that humility is, ref- is letter B, refusing to celebrate our enemy's impending downfall. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. If you continue reading Daniel's story, there's this moment where King Nebuchadnezzar has a terrifying dream that foreshadows the impending end of the reign of Babylon. And while Daniel could have celebrated the victory, he could have have thrown in Nebuchadnezzar's face all of the awful things that he had done. Daniel's response was to celebrate the goodness of God in revealing the mystery of this dream and to be compassionate in his interpretation of the dream as God was revealing this to the king. And so when we walk through conversations like this, of course, the, the question we have to answer is, so what? So what do I do with this information now? Well, character is something we have to remember is it's refined. Character is, doesn't just develop overnight. We make the choice to grow in wisdom, to grow in our hope and in humility. By living out these character traits, as we put aside panic and engage our culture. In church, it's messy. It's messy and it presents itself with a lot of challenges, but this is how character creation happens. It's how we develop a grasp on understanding our times and knowing what to do. Let's pray. God, I know that uh, a, a series like this can land in all sorts of, of places, but God, we, we ask that you would give us wisdom to, to hear these words and to know what to do uh, in them. God, we pray that you would build our, our wisdom in you, that you would build our, our, uh, our trust, our confidence, our hope in you, and that you'd also keep us humble that you, would, uh, that you would cause us to be a people who walk in humility God as we, uh, as we close here in a time of worship I, I, I pray that we would not only recognize um, us in relationship to you but also the things that you desire to do in and through us we love you Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close in worship here this morning? Well, I really wanna thank you all the, this morning for, uh, for your compassion and uh, with, uh, with uh, me being sick here today. Um, but I wanna leave you with this. As you go from here, may you grow in wisdom as you discover God's character, in hope as you live in co- the confidence of it, and in humility as you recognize your need for it to be developed in you to the glory of God. And may you walk in this world as sons of Issachar, understanding the times and knowing what to do. Don't forget too to make sure that you see Todd up about the Gideon stuff as well. God bless you as you go.